for Women, a weekly podcast for busy professional women who want to thrive, rise, and lead at work. We're your hosts, Caroline Hopkins. And I'm Maba Tunkambule. We are two career-loving mothers ourselves, and we're passionate about supporting women to be their best. Each week, we chat about what is challenging us or the women that we work with, and we provide practical tools, tips, and techniques to help you cope and thrive. This podcast is sponsored by Zebra Blue Women's Leadership Services and Tsukuru Consulting. Friends, sisters, welcome to the fourth episode of our podcast. I hope I'm not being forward in addressing you in this way. It just seems more appropriate in the context of us creating a community to think of you as fellow sojourners and co-creators of our collective experience as women and not just as our listeners. We are at the halfway mark of our eight-episode series and it's been wonderful to reach out to you in this way. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of our conversation today, I'd like Caroline to lead us on our regular practice of observing our breath. Yes, 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 yes. So let us just take this moment in probably what is a busy day for most of our listeners to just take a breath in deep and then let it out okay so mabatu i love the title you gave to this episode two truths and a lie can you describe for maybe the listeners who don't never heard of that before what what that what's that about Sure. So Two Truths and a Lie is actually a fun icebreaker that people, you know, sometimes use in team development settings or even other social actions, right, to to get to know each other in a somewhat lighthearted manner. So the idea is this. So each person who's taking part gets an opportunity to share two truths and one lie about themselves and then to have the other people in the group figure out which is which. Of course, people can make up all sorts of nonsense, all sorts of red herrings as they go along, just to try to make it as difficult as possible for the others to to guess what is true and what it, what it isn't, right? But it's, it's actually all in good fun. It's, it's an amazing, um, simple, but fun icebreaker. And I want to tie it into today's, um, you know, topic, but I'll get us there. In my own, you know, madness, as it were, I always say to people, there's a madness, or at least there's a method in my madness, but I'll get us there. <laughs> So as somebody I know, Mabatu says, there's a magic to your madness. Oh, there's a magic. I love that. that? There's a magic to my madness. So this two truths and a lie, I also use it in some of our workshops, but... You know, it's it, it's not directly related to the reason we're using it, but this is a game actually, Mabatu, we play in our family or have played, mm-hmm. and it was a way for the four of us to check in about our days, and so we do two truths and a lie about our day. Yeah, as a, just a fun way to check in. So for any of our listeners who have kids that that need a a new and creative way to have a conversation around the dinner table, is really fun. Yeah. So. Okay, so the, but the full title, it's Two Truths and a Lie as a Strategy for Interrupting Catastrophic Thinking. Help us That's make it. the link. What do you mean by that? Yes. What's so, the link there? Yeah, let, let me do that for us. So 
the idea was actually sparked off by two recent events. So one was a mentorship session that I was in a few weeks ago as a mentor. And we asked some of the mentees to come up with an icebreaker for the day. So they got us to play this game. And it was just so amazing that it just kind of stuck with me how something so simple uncovered so much about people in the group. So that was the first one. And then fast forward to about a week later, and I'm having breakfast with uh, my, my friend in Tabi Singh. And we just, as we normally do, just kind of got into deep conversation about what's been going on for both of us on the personal and professional fronts, because we hadn't seen each other literally in, in months. I think the last time was probably around February or whatever. So we, we very quickly got into, you know, exactly what's been happening. Um, you know, how do we support each other? The, the usual thing that we do with and for one another. And then somehow, as we kind of moved through, you know, the different things that have been happening, we landed on the topic of anxiety and specifically anxiety in our own spaces. You know, we spoke about when we've experienced it. We spoke about what the triggers are. And then more importantly, we got to how we actually navigate, you know, our way through it. Because it's one thing to, to know and to feel anxiety, but how do you actually move through uh, something like that to get yourself back into a place where I suppose you are centered once again and you can move uh, through whatever it is you need to do so with, with more calm and more composure. So that's really where um, the inspiration came from, for two truths and a lie. Yeah. And you like this thing about anxiety. It's I think it's so high right now. I know in my own self I'm experiencing a lot more anxiety than... I'm used to, and I think it is because of this global pandemic and the just the level of uncertainty that mm. that's bringing around. Um, I mean, for me personally, so I, if people listen to the first uh, episode, my husband and son are both in the United States, and so you know I'm in a lot of uncertainty. When will I see them again? Will they be able to come for Christmas? And of course. For many people, I think, what's the impact on the economy and our own livelihoods? Mm. Um, and for me, being an American, the U.S. election yes. is an ongoing source of anxiety. Hopefully, by the time this podcast drops, we will be on the other side of that. That is what I'm holding thumbs for. But really, there's so much uncertainty in general in the world. I think anxiety is really high. Yeah. Um, and anxiety is, it's uncertainty, you know, is such a surefire trigger mm -hmm. for that. So would you mind sharing, like, just what you're experiencing right now and what you were talking to Ntabi Sang about? Yeah, actually, it's something that happened a while ago while the kids were still at home during, I'm, I'm not even sure what level of lockdown we were at, probably five when, you know, the schools had, had been closed for, for a while and the kids were basically just um, doing online learning. And the example that really stands out for me is um, with my, my youngest son, Molimo. You know, I have, I have two kids, as I've shared with the listeners as well. Molimo is in grade five and Luyanda, who's my eldest, is in grade nine. And so when we first went into lockdown and they they seemingly adapted quite quickly, right? So on they went onto their computers because they were in any case, um, you know, doing some online learning at school. So it wasn't completely foreign for them. But that was always blended with classroom learning and the teacher being physically there with them. So my sense was they're okay. You know, they were getting daily exercises or like a daily schedule of what they needed to do. There were instructions of what activities they needed to do. And I was convinced that both my boys were okay. So 
around June, I think it was around mid-June, uh, maybe even a bit later than that, I started getting email notifications. So what happens with, with the boys' work is you can opt in as a parent to get um, notifications of work that's that's been submitted or if there's something that's, that's outstanding. And I started getting a lot of notifications regarding Mulema's work, especially that there was work that hadn't, you know, that hadn't come through, um, you know, it was outstanding. And then also what I think got me a bit nervous was that I think it might have been two teachers who then also wrote emails to us as, as the parents saying, you know, where's his work and where's this project? And, you know, we haven't seen this. A mother is not what a mother wants to receive or a father. Exactly, right. And I started thinking, my goodness, what, what on earth is going on? So it seemed like um, at that moment when I was reading, you know, these emails and getting these notifications that it was weeks worth of work that he hadn't submitted. And Caroline, I started to panic. Mm. And I think part of the panic for mm. me was he hasn't done the work, okay, but also I suppose that self-judgment, like where have I been? What have I been doing? Have I not been a good mother? Why have I not kind of sat day by day next to my child, mm. making sure that his work is done and now I'm getting these emails? I'm partly, you know, blaming myself. I'm partly upset with him because we'd ask the boys every day, are you okay? How was the day? What did you need to do? And always the answer was, you know, two thumbs up. We're all right, mom and dad, you know, no need to worry about us. And then boom. So you can imagine, right? You can imagine the, the panic and the anxiety on, on my part. So then I kind of started spiraling down because even as I started to think about what work might be outstanding, immediately I went, oh my goodness, my child is so far behind, you know, all the other kids are doing well, because, you know, we've got a mom's WhatsApp or parents WhatsApp group, and you could see what some of the people sharing on there, here's the activity and here's the, the memo for this. I had no clue. I, I was completely <laughs> clueless, right? <laughs> I'm a little ashamed to say. And I'm thinking my child is going to be behind. Everybody else's child must be, you know, on track and doing so well. Um, and then, of course, I went right ahead and thought, you know, he's probably going to fail the year, he's going to fail grade five, and it will be all my fault, you know. So really I was in, in this slippery slope of, I suppose, you know, this negative thinking, which wasn't helping me. So no. that, 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 was, that was the beginning for me. And um, it was a horrible time because I, I took on a lot of, like I say, a lot of guilt. I, I didn't really, in the immediate sort of, let's call it the aftermath of discovering what was happening, think about what I could do for him. I, I was literally stuck in just feeling this anxiety and feeling, um, you know, this, this panic about, about what I was going through. So I, I don't know if you, I don't know, because your, your kids are older, so I don't know if you've had the same, especially because of, of the, the context that, that we've been living in for, for, you know, these many months. I don't know if you've ever felt that sort of crazy level of anxiety, right? Of course. I, I, I don't know somebody who hasn't in the way that you created your anxiety. So can I share a story? Yeah, that, that really when you, when you talk about that, it just reminds me of this story. So as you say, my, my kids are older now, but 
I remember so well when my son, who is now 21, but he was four years old, and he did not go through the terrible twos. He went through, a, it's a different word, but I won't say it in our podcast, <laughs> the blank, blank fours. And he had so many temper tantrums as a four-year-old and just this, you know, he just expressed this rage. Wow. And he was my oldest, so I had no idea what to expect. And similarly to you, I went a little, you know, some into the blame, like the self-blame game. Mm. What have I done wrong as a mother? Why is he so angry? And and then I did this classic thing of starting to project into the future. Mm. Oh my God, if he's so, you know, he's maybe just got anger problems and this is, this is just going to carry on with him and he's eventually going to get kicked out of school because he's going to be a discipline problem in school yeah. and, you know, children that aren't in school, he's going to He's going to, you know, slip into self-medicating by using drugs or he's going to become a real problem. And then he's going to get, he's going to go into a life of crime to pay for his drugs. And I'm going to be visiting him in juvenile oh, detention. No, I went years and years and created, wow. you can see, like, if that's my story, how anxious it would make me. It sounds so funny in yeah. 2020 hindsight because... The truth of the matter is he's, you know, as I said, he's now 21. He's third year of university, yeah. doing incredibly well. He has a job. He has friends, relation. You know, he's good. Yeah. But the, and the, the story I spun myself into felt real and my anxiety because of that. And so at the time, I wasn't a coach yet. But now I know to call that, you know, in the coaching world, we would call it catastrophic or catastrophizing. Mm. This kind of catastrophic thinking. It's one of the uh, cognitive distortions, which are these thinking errors that we can get in our way. And, um, you know, there are ways we make ourselves miserable. So this catastrophizing you can feel like we're just we're creating our own anxiety by the story we're telling ourselves and when we project kind of worst case scenario into the future yeah so so from all that does that fit for you does that like as you think about your this more recent example it does because I mean it, it does seem like we were heading for a catastrophe right <laughs> my child was gonna fail you know and then, of course, immediately I thought, okay, I can't afford to pay for yet another <laughs> year of grade five. And then, you know, what's it going to do to him psychologically if, you know, he fails the grade and all his his friends go to grade six? So I was also imagining like a bleak future for my Mind you, we were in mid-June and I'm already <laughs> seeing December and beyond, right? Yes. So he fails grade five and then he's never going to make it and all the kids are going to laugh at him. And there you were talking about gangster Alex. <laughs> My goodness, he was four, right? Because <laughs> it, it is catastrophic because yeah. we are thinking of the worst possible scenario. And yet we're not even there yet, right? No. No, so I was in it. June. Yeah. Alex was four, who is now 20. Have you ever told him this story, by the way? Uh, I think I have, but he'll probably, I hope he'll listen to this, this episode. I'll tell him to, to make sure to listen to this episode that he features strongly yeah. Yeah, in it. So, so with this recognizing um, that, you know, that, that we can get ourselves in these spins of, of, of catastrophizing our catastrophic thinking, but us being coaches, Mabatu, what is a technique you have for interrupting it? Please share that with us. Aha, uh -huh. so this is is where two truths and a lie comes in, right? I did promise I'd lead us into exactly why I, I see it as a way of remembering a very simple technique to interrupt 
that catastrophic thinking. So let me take you back to the breakfast with Ntabi um, Seng. So as we were talking about our respective situations, you know, what's been happening, sort of the, the anxiety we've both been feeling, I then said to her, look, I've got a, a very, what I consider anyway, a very simple way of arresting my own negative thinking. So the first thing I do is to remind myself of this. My thoughts are not facts, right? So my thinking that Mulemo, you know, is going to fail and he's going to be, you know, left behind and every you know, other child will be ahead of him, that wasn't a fact. It is what I thought, not necessarily what was reality. It was really just an assumption. The two truths for me then, so that in essence is the lie. So, so the thought itself can be a lie, right? And then the two truths for me, actually, I articulate by way of questions. So if the fact or so-called fact is actually not that, that it is in fact a lie, what would be the two truths? And for me, the questions that help me are this. The first question I ask myself is, if I bring myself to what is possible, the question then becomes, what do you need to do now? So this is self-talk. Mabato, what do you need to do now? It just really helps me to focus. It, it helps to bring me back to that which I can control, right? And then the second question kind of allows me to, to really remember and reflect on the fact that I'm not alone, right? So the second question for me becomes, who do you need to call upon for help? It's really just... Uh, an understanding that whatever solution I may need to find, I don't always have to do it on my own. So, so that those are like it's as simple as that. So, the thought, what is the thought, and is the truth to it? And what are the two actual truths? The question I ask, uh, the questions I ask myself, and then answering those questions in a practical way. Does that make sense? It totally does. And so, so. So I mean, what I'm really hearing is this first interrupt where we're, it's just like catching yourself, right? Exactly. Is, is what I'm imagining here true? Like, yeah. is this thing I'm telling myself, is it true? So if I apply it to my example, if I had known your technique back, you know, however many, I can't do the math that quickly, <laughs> but however many years ago, yeah. like to catch myself and say, is this story that I'm telling myself, because it was a big story, Mabatu, that mm. he had all these anger management things and it was because of me and this is who he was. Like, it's a big story. And so if I could catch myself and say, is that all true? Well, I have no idea. I'm making it up. Like, there's no evidence really to show that. And and then what I love about your, then your second question is, what do I need to do now? As you mentioned, is mm -hmm. it does two things. What do I need to do now? One is if catastrophic thinking is our story that projects into the future, yeah. then your question brings us right back to the present moment, That's which exactly is it. where we live. We don't live in the future. We live in the present moment. And it also does this other thing you pointed out. It re-brings us back into our circle of control. Absolutely. What is in my control? About this whole big thing, there's probably things that are outside of your control yeah. in that, right? And so in my case... What's outside of my control is actually Alexander is a different human being than me. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of things out of my control and who, he's, who he was going to be. But what is in my control? So it does two really powerful interrupts, yeah. I hear in that, right? Of the bringing back to present mm -hmm. moment, not in the future anymore. And what's, what's actually in my control? Yeah. And you can just even feel like the anxiety dissipating, even with, with that one question. But 
So, so with that, will you share with us how you answered that question? Yes. Yeah, so what I did was this, exactly bringing myself back into the present. So I've got these notifications, these email notifications. I've got, you know, the, the teacher's emails as well saying work is outstanding. With the notifications, it it's also for me, I don't know, something seemed a little bit haphazard and you're not always sure when the work was given. You you get sort of a sense of here was the, the cutoff date or the submission date. And so what I had to do, and literally, I kid you not, I spent, I, I initially thought this will take me an hour. It took me a whole entire day sure. that I sat sure. down with Mulemo and said, subject for subject, let's go through, you know, the, the daily schedule that he had been given and then go into, um, you know, the platform that they use, the online platform that they use to check which work had been done and which exactly was still outstanding. I kid you not, Caroline, there was probably 90% of the work done, if not more. And the thing is, and I'm laughing now, it was not funny then. What had happened was... <laughs> I know, it's the 2020 hindsight where we get what to laugh happened at was, exactly. yeah. He had actually done a lot of the work. A simple thing, a very simple thing, like clicking on the button that says submit. Mm, mm. My child had not done. So he had, he had, you know, performed what was required for whatever reason. And I don't know if he was distracted or because he it's not as if he'd never used the system before. He just had to go back and click submit, submit, submit for all the things he had done. For some of the other activities, what they had to do, because the activities were, were also partly done in the physical actual books, he was supposed to then use his device to take pictures and he wasn't sure how to use that and then assumed it just didn't work. So I said, well, there's always an alternative, right? So my camera on, on the phone, we took pictures, uploaded, and then he submitted those. And then, of course, you know, it was, a, it was an amazing relief to kind of go tick, 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 done, 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 highlighting things. I felt quite proud of myself as if I'm in grade five. <laughs> tick, 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 you know, the work is done. <laughs> but it, it was a relief for both of us because I could also see the stress on him. The stress of me going, Mulemo, what have you been doing? What's happened here? I'm getting these things from the teachers. And him going, but I've done the work. And then he wasn't sure what had happened. But the practical thing was really that exercise. Let's go into his, you know, into his schedule. Let's see what has been done versus what has not been done. Check, check. Like I said, we found things that had actually been, been completed, but not submitted. So we did those. And then for the rest of them that were outstanding, I gave him a new schedule that said, because remember, he still had his current work to do. I gave him a schedule to say, okay, even as you do your current work every day, then you've got to do some of what is outstanding to kind of, so make sure you don't then fall behind with the new work, but there's a way that you've got to just keep moving and trying to keep up with, um, with what is outstanding. And like I said, that, that took a lot of, you know, his shoulders and certainly my shoulders. So that, that is how I responded to what you, what you need to do now, yeah, was look at the work and figure yeah. out what needs to be done. And, and what it sounds like, um, Mabatu, is it also brought you back to reality. Absolutely. Like out of the story, the spin of your sure. head, you just came, what, what are the facts here? Yeah. And as you told this story again, what popped into my mind too was, which we had done in, in um, episode three, you talked about a little bit about this all or nothing. And yes. I heard this time in part of your story in the beginning when you were going into the spin that then created the anxiety is, oh my goodness, he's done nothing. Yes. And then when you look at the real evidence, 
That's not exactly true. He's actually done a bunch. A Some lot, of it is just a to lot. hit submit. And I know so many parents who've told me their children also they'll get a notice from their teacher. And back in the days when kids went to school on the regular and weren't hitting the submit button, yeah. all the kids completed homework was in their backpack. They just hadn't turned it in. Yes. So, back in those days. But yeah. it is so I also heard that all or nothing. Um, so I and the second question also is just such a beautiful and brilliant question. Who do I call on for help? And as you said, because it reminds us we are not in life alone. Mm. We're not, we do not have to do life alone. So share with, share with our listeners, who did you call on for help in this case? Yeah. So the best possible people to call for help, of course, in our scenario was Mulemo's um, teachers. So I literally wrote emails to a whole bunch of teachers, his class teacher, you know, very humbly so, to say, dear teachers, <laughs> I have tried my best. But I kind of said, look, here's what's happened. I've been getting these notifications. Uh, Mulemo has now submitted the work as you would probably, you know, start picking up. He had actually done the work, but just hadn't clicked on this button. I'm aware that, you know, there is work that's still outstanding and we're still working on that. Again, I think in the moment I thought, oh my gosh, you know, it's coming, it's coming. I'm going to get it from these teachers and they're going to say, you know, <laughs> what have you been doing? And, you know, your child doesn't understand the work. And Ever so graciously, I got responses back. I think from every single one of the teachers that I did reach out to, to say, thank you, mom, you know, Thank you, because we know that um, you've got your own stuff that you've had to, to, you know, look after. But at the same time, you've played our role in a sense. We are here to support you. You know what? Don't worry. Um, whatever's outstanding, they gave me new days. He mm -hmm. can give, you know, he can submit in two weeks time. They were about to go on, I think, uh, a short break, um, short holiday. Yeah. And so he was given even some of that time to say, no, when, when he comes back, it, it was different with different teachers. But the bottom line is this. I reached out to the teachers. They were so incredibly accommodating. They understood the complexity in which we all suddenly found ourselves, right? Trying to continue with our work, but at the same time, trying to, you know, to parent in the normal way and still play a school teacher in their absence. So I appreciated the grace. I appreciated the understanding. And it was, again, for me, proof that um, if you just ask, right, all I had to do was figure out who can help me. I'm in the business of, you know, facilitating workshops and, and like you said, bringing in coaching and all of that. But I will admit I am not a very good grade five teacher. In fact, nobody should trust me with the grade five children. Right? It's a very different note, way. Note, dear listeners, note. <laughs> it's a very different way of teaching. It's a very different way of engaging with children. Absolutely. That it is an art. It is a skill. It is a talent that I do not have. Quite frankly, I enjoy what I do and not teaching, you know, 11-year-olds. And so for the teachers to be just so marvelously loving and understanding in their response was was a huge thing for me and I, I kind of thought afterwards goodness gracious all that stress and all that anxiety for nothing all I had to do was to bring myself back look around me and say who is there for me and mm -hmm. and they were right there for me yeah. they really were they really came through for us yeah. not just for me 
but for, for my child yeah. also. And I really appreciated that. Gosh, and it's such a beautiful example of really the, the partnerships we make in life to get through life. And even in, in raising our beautiful children, right? It's partnership yep. with lots of people. I think also what I'm hearing in your story, which maybe some of our listeners who have children or smaller children can relate to is sometimes the pressure we put on ourselves to, to do it all as career women, True. you know, so to be really good at our careers, love our careers, and then to still at the same time be these super moms. Of course, we can be our grade five teacher and put healthy meals on the, like, it's just that old myth of the superwoman yeah. um, I hear in there too. And and really the recognition, number one, we're not meant to do all of that. Exactly. It's where we can't, we're, we're not meant necessarily to be awesome fifth grade teachers just because we're a mom or dad. Yeah. Um, so your story, I think, has so much richness in it of um, the pressure we put on ourselves to, to perform in so many ways. So isn't it, um, geez, isn't it just really amazing how it's our own thinking which can be the source mm. of creating our anxiety? Sometimes even less about what's happening on the external world. It's how we're thinking about what's happening externally and some of those distortions that get in our way all or nothing but this catastrophic thinking. And so it can be so helpful to have just a simple interrupt technique when we go in kind of that downward spiral, right? Yeah. Of just a simple right. So so if I just can recap your technique for our listeners. Mm -hmm. So I think one is, you know, to I notice I'm feeling anxious. Like that's the first thing because sometimes when we're in it, yeah. we're so in it, we don't, you don't we, even see we, we it, don't even right? see it. It just yeah. is the way it is, but to catch ourselves. So, and I might even put in here, like as we do at the beginning of all our episodes, is when we notice that, oh, I'm in quite a, quite a state of anxiety, um, is to take a breath, right? To, to calm our nervous system which our breath is fantastic for doing. I was thinking maybe we need to do a whole episode one time on just all the different breathing techniques mm. and, and what we do. But And then your two truths and a lie is, so I ask myself, are my thoughts fact? Mm. Is this story I'm telling myself true? Is there an, all the evidence that backs up this story? Because yeah. more often than not, we've put a lot of details in there that there is no evidence. We've made stuff up. Right? And, and we believe it. And right? we believe in it. In the and moment we believe it. In the moment we believe it. And because human beings, we do have what's called a negativity bias, right? Very often that story is not a happy one. Yeah. It's not the best case scenario, right? Like you didn't go into, oh, Malemo is actually the best student in the class. And yeah. I don't know what they're, like it's not, we go exactly. into the, to, to the worst case scenario. You know, he's actually, they're going to want to skip a grade. And um, so, so are my thoughts facts? Is the story I'm telling myself true? And then your next question to bring yourself back from the future into this present moment and into your zone of control, what can I do, do now yes. about this? And then finally, and I just, this question is just so powerful, who do I need to call upon for help? Because it reminds us that we are not meant to be doing life alone. Now, yeah. I know that last question, you and I have talked about this, that last question seems so simple, but mm -hmm. I think in both mm -hmm. our work, we see how many women struggle with asking for help. And, um, you know, that we've noted that. And so maybe, I think even our next episode, we're going to cover that more directly. Yeah. What is underneath this thing about um, asking for support, asking for help? Yeah. 
I, so, I agree yeah. wholeheartedly with, with mm. that, Caroline, the idea that we really do need to revisit the question of who do I need to call upon for help because asking for help is often, you know, uh, easier said than done for, for a lot of women. And I think it would be useful for all of us to understand why we struggle so much yeah. with that, right? You alluded to this myth of us being um, being superwomen, mm. right? And we don't think, well, actually, superwoman with her cape had her own sort of, uh, I don't know if it's kryptonite that she's got to deal with, whatever it is. Maybe we've also got our own yep. kryptonite or whatever it is that that holds us back or that keeps us running, whichever it may be, this constant tension that we have. But we need to recognize that um, help is there. But what is it that makes us so hesitant sometimes to reach out to others and say, I need you, right? right. Um, right. I mean, I'm even thinking of, of myself, um, you know, uh, silly me when we went into lockdown. I think my attitude was like, lockdown, schmockdown, I've got this on lockdown, right? <laughs> and then the episode happened with Molemo and others that I have not told you about, but this was just the fitting example for, you know, for our discussion today. And it's in moments when I have been humble and at the same time brave enough to pick up the phone or, you know, sometimes help is right in front of me to ask people in the house to go, I can't do this alone, please help me. Yeah. And I'm always amazed that nobody's ever actually said no. Yeah. If they can't help in the moment, they'll find some way to support me. I just needed to ask. So what's the deal? What's the deal with us women struggling with this so much? So I think much to unpack, be, right? Exactly. So I think it's a great, uh, great yeah. topic for our next episode. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So thank, Mabatu, thank you so much for sharing an experience from your recent life that really helps us unpack so many so many things that I'm sure are cross for a lot of our listeners that, that are true for them as well. So... As we bring this episode to a close, just want to say thank you to our listeners. And as always, we hope you're taking something away that you can apply to your own life. Please help us spread the word. Uh, that's how we're going to grow our community of women here. So please forward on the link to all the women in your life who you think would get something out of this. Please drop us a note. Um, our contact details are in the show notes, so you can drop us an email, find us on LinkedIn, find us on websites. As always, thanks to Dale and Sean, our producers of Uncut Media, and to Quince Hopkins for our podcast image. And we always like to leave you with something special today. We're going to leave you with a quote. So the quote for today is, you may not control the winds, but you can adjust your sales. Mm, love it. Yeah. So normally we would just leave it there, but I can't help but tell a little backstory Please about do. two of this. Please okay. Do. So I was looking for who to attribute this quote to because I always do like to give proper attribution. And I noticed there are a lot of people who are credited with this, many of whom are men. Um, but I went back to the very first, there's one called Quote Finder or something like that, a, a website that goes back, back, back to find out who originally said something, mm. said, said something that who really deserves attribution. And so in this, they found it was a woman, Cora L.V. Hatch. And believe it or not, 1859 wow. was when something was recorded in the, Cleve, the, the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which must have been a newspaper at the time. And so she employed a version of that expression. What, they, what she was quoted as saying is, 
You could not prevent a thunderstorm, but you could use the electricity. You could not direct the wind, but you could trim your sail so as to propel your vessel as you pleased, no matter which way the wind blew. Mm. So thank you very much, Cora L.V. Hatch, for that. That's powerful. Yeah, that's powerful. Yet again, a wonderful episode. I've had a lot of fun, lots of learning. Um, and again, you know, as we were talking about how we're going to talk about this uh, topic of why we struggle so much with asking for help, I'm just glad we're doing this together, right? I could not have done this on my own. I know you've said before, you could not have done this on your own. It's just the power of collaboration. I think the message we want to send, even as we leave this episode to our listeners, is um, you're never alone, right? You're never alone. But we'll talk more deeply, more intently about that in our next episode. For now, I just want to say, friends, sisters, let's thrive together, and we will be with you again next week. Be with you next week.